Uh, Father, and I continue in prayer this morning and just say thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the team. Uh, thank you for Troy and the other elders who serve you well and faithfully. Thank you for those who worship regularly and come before your throne. And Lord, we pray that as we do this, do so this morning that you bless uh, the preaching of your word and bring glory to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. And welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. We're continuing our series in the book of Mark. We're nearing the end. We're following its chronology all the way up until uh, the Easter, the Holy Week, the Passion of Christ. And uh, so today we're coming to chapter 14 towards the end, verse 53, where Jesus is on trial uh, before the council of the Sanhedrin or the high priest of the Jewish aristocracy at that time. And so what we will see in this passage, I think, is how to deal with accusations. How should we deal with accusations? What do we do when people accuse us of things that are untrue? What do we do when our mind accuses us of things that are untrue? What do we do when we have bad thoughts? What do we do when the enemy tries to besiege us with guilt and mislead us along the way? Mark chapter 14, verse 53 through 65 is going to answer that question. Before we dive into that scene, I want to paint the picture a little bit so you can see what's going on. This is largely borrowed from Mr. Kent Hughes and his excellent commentary on Mark and What he says essentially is this, you can imagine with your mind, think about the scene, it's dark, it's at night, it was already past midnight and the Sanhedrin had come flocking in by torchlight from every corner of the city. Jesus was placed in the middle of this sizable torchlit hall. He would have been standing up and they're looking down at him. He is on trial, they are seated. Remember that because that'll come back later. In this section, he's in the middle of the 70 people, the Sanhedrin, and to the left, there is a clerk who is prepared to take notes on every single little thing that the accused says. They begin the charade looking for evidence against him, and the night is in order. Mark 14, verse 55, says it like this. The chief priest and the whole council. Ever feel ganged up upon? Ever feel like everybody is against you? Do you ever feel surrounded? There's Jesus surrounded all by himself with not a single advocate. And they were seeking testimony against him to put him to death. But remember what has happened the night before. Where was he? Anybody have any remembrances? Where was Jesus just a couple weeks ago in our sermon series? Just shortly before in this chapter. Where was he? In Gethsemane. And what was he doing there? Praying. So Jesus is prayed up. He's prepared. He knows that bad things are going to happen in this very moment when everyone else seems like the whole world literally is ganged up against him but he's not going into this blind he knew that the hour had come and as a result he has prepared his heart he has steeled his mind he has set his face towards jerusalem not too long ago he had just prayed abba father all things are possible for you remove this cup from me yet not what i will but what you will 
In this moment, those words perhaps are haunting him and he has to remember and call them to mind and bring them up again. Not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. Standing here in the midst of the 70 when everyone in the world is ganged up against me. Not what I will, but what you will. He has submitted himself to the will of the Father. And two weeks ago, we said, through submission comes strength. And now he is steeled. Really, what you'll see here are that there are two rocks in this section. One is a guy by the name of, here's a hint, Pedro, Peter. The other is Jesus. One rock crumbles and the other foundation is firm. Next week we look at the crumbly rock. This week we look at the solid rock. Here we see the person of Christ submitted to the will of the Father in absolute perfect submission to his will. Steeled before the tribunal. Uncompromising, unflinching. He makes James Bond look like a weenie. This is awesome. Verse 53, it led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. And here's a little parenthetical note we'll come back to next week. And Peter had followed them at a distance right out into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So just keep that in mind, but it comes back later. The other rock in contrast. Verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus. They were seeking a fair trial. They were listening to his defense. No. They were seeking testimony against him. To put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say. How many times have people said to you, We heard you say? (laughs) Is that what he said? I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. In three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. The high priest asked him again, point blank, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him. With many blows. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So what in the world is going on here? Well we've told you it's a trial. 
which obviously Jesus is being accused and unfairly, but I want to move this through with three big points. So if you're taking notes and you can remember this, just write these down. This is the way this works in this passage, and I think this is the way it works in our lives as well. This will help you. It doesn't matter if you're 80 years old or if you're 8 years old, if you're 100 years old or if you're 1 year old. This is valuable. Here's one of the cool things and one of the not so cool things about preaching through books of the Bible or what we call expositionally from A to Z. What happens is there's some passages that I read and I'm like, yeah, this is a good one. I can't wait to preach this. And there's other passages I read and I'm like, oh man, I'm so convicted. I hope I don't have to preach this one. (laughs) This is one of those. This is hard. This is not something I'm good at up front. I want to just say I'm probably one of the worst in the room at this. But this is what you're supposed to do. (laughs) Okay? So hear from the word of the Lord. Learn from Jesus And take Jeremy out of the picture as I speak, but listen to what the Lord has to say to you this morning. Three things. Number one, remember, remember that God is judge. Number one, remember that God is judge. Another way you can say it is Don E.L. We'll get to that. God is judge. Number one, God is judge. Number two, remain silent. Remain silent. Number three, we've said it before, but we'll say it like this again. The Lord will reward. The Lord will reward. Number one, God is judge. Number two, remain silent. Number three, the Lord will reward. What do you do about accusations? Kiddos, when you're going down the hallway and someone at school makes fun of you, or you hear a comment, somebody's talking behind your back, or Lord forbid it's on Facebook and somebody's bullying you or whatever. What do you do? Do you write out your rant? Or do you follow the words of scripture here in Mark chapter 14? Let's take a closer look at what it says. Number one, remember, remember that God is judge. One of the interesting things about this whole scenario to me is this, is the incredible irony. That here is Jesus, the only perfect person ever. Some people say, why do bad things happen to good people? You should respond, that's only happened once. (laughs) There's only one good person, and it's right here. This is when something bad is happening to a good person. And of all things, in this very moment, here is this absolutely perfect person who has done no wrong whatsoever, and everybody else who has is standing up and pointing their finger down at him, saying he's to blame. I struggle with this. I don't know if you guys have ever been in this situation where you feel falsely accused or running into a bad spot. But as time goes on and I get older, I begin to encounter more and more what I believe are my buttons. And everybody has different buttons, but I'll name a few just for fun. One of them is logic. Like I'm a logical person. So I think for whatever reason, things should make sense. Shouldn't it all make sense? (laughs) Affirm me here. Come on, this is your chance. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, listen, 
things should make sense. They should flow. They should come together. If there's something self-contradictory, it should not be. That does not work. It's out of harmony. It can't align. It doesn't work. And so when I'm listening to things or I'm processing things, I'm trying to see, okay, does this equal that? Does that go together? And yeah, that makes sense. But wait, no, that doesn't make sense. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Like, ah, okay, maybe I'm weird like that. But I know there's some gramophobes out there or grammar people. And they're like, man, they see a, a comma splice or a run on or a sentence fragment. And they're just like, ah, you spelled that word wrong. There should be two S's. And they're going crazy and they can't sleep till they get up in the morning and cross it out and put in the right word. Maybe there's a musician that has to have it closed just right. They can't leave that. What do you call it? I can't hear you. They can't leave that suspension right there. It's just just not the right end. There's so many things out there that bother us or get our intention If you're a process person, you're looking at the process and you're able to accept different outcomes as long as the process has been followed. We've gone from step A to step B and we've all agreed to this process. And if we come here, it's okay. But ah, don't mess up the process. You're outside of our boundaries or our scope. There's nobody in this room like that, right? (laughs) Oh, man. Now, look at this. And I see... The God who invented process. I see the God who is logic. I see the God who is ultimately accurate. Enduring all of those things which fundamentally in every way are not. Like if there's ever a time to stand up and say this does not make sense. That would be the time. The text tells us their own accusations contradicted themselves. Talk about process. They had all kinds of process around this trial. It should have never occurred at night. That's illegal. The witnesses have to agree. There can't be any physical abuse. And even in this system, there was a presumed innocence until guilt was proven. Yet here they've assumed guilt. They're trying to prove it. And their purpose is not for a fair trial, but to kill him. Everything about it is wrong. There is nothing in here that makes sense. If ever there was a time to raise your hand and call timeout foul, throw the challenge flag, this is it. Everything is off. And yet, Jesus remained silent how does he do that I mean, isn't the nails going down the chalkboard everything is unresolved it doesn't make sense it's illogical it's inaccurate the process is all messed up yet jesus remains silent why because he has to remember don e L. Daniel, Don, Judge, E, my L, God. God is my judge. God is my judge. Even in this moment where he is surrounded by the Sanhedrin, by the judge's council, by the high court, 
by SCOTUS or whatever you want to call it. They're surrounding him and looking down upon him, accusing him falsely and coming to a false conclusion. Jesus has to sit there and remember God is judge, not these men. Can you imagine the judge, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the universe, having to call to mind that God is judge? Yet in this moment, surely he did. He had to think, wow, they are not my judge. They are pronouncing me guilty, but that is not their place. They have seated themselves on the throne, but they are not seated on the throne. God is on the throne, and it is his opinion, his judgment that is final and the only record that matters. So Jesus doesn't have to speak out on his own behalf and set the record straight, because even if their record is wrong, it's the wrong record. I think so many times when I hear all these inaccuracies and illogical stuff that people are just going to forever ferment in their mind and they're going to write it in some impermeable, unchangeable rock and that's the way it'll be. And so I feel burdened to speak up and say, no, wait, that's not true. Stop. As if that were the record. But there is only one record and it doesn't change and God is still on the throne and truth is truth. Truth. Jesus doesn't have to set this record straight. He knows the record. And he remembers, despite what people say, despite what people feel, despite everything that's surrounding me, God is still on the throne. And God is judge. Even Jesus had to remember that God is judge. Now, just a little hint for fun, not really fun, but kind of fun. Well, ironic, just the irony is dripping off the pages here. One of the ironic things about this is Jesus is rabbi. Jesus is truth. Jesus is the embodiment of God's word. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is God's word in a person. And what did they accuse him of? Being a false teacher. The false teachers accuse him of being a false teacher. Wait, wait, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, John tells us. Jesus is casting out demons and delivering people from demonic oppression. And what do they accuse him of? Being in league with Beelzebub. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the mighty God, the beginning and the end, the firstborn among the dead. And everything they accuse him of is the exact opposite. Of who he is. And you know what I find? People who come into me and they're struggling in a relationship. And they say, These, they said this or they said that or they said this. I say, well, that's funny. You know what the right response is? I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> I mean, kind of, but not really. What it means is this. Look, accusations reveal more about the accuser than the accused. They tell you something about them. They tell you about their heart. They're openly revealing what's going on inside of them. Why? Because if they were in your shoes, they'd do the exact same thing. And that's what they assume you would do too. So the money guy accuses them about money. Or the power person accuses them about power. Or the false teacher about false teaching. Or those are in league with Beelzebub about being in league with Beelzebub. Why? Because that's what they would do. If you hear someone call you a jerk... 
You might want to think, hmm, that tells me something. <laughs> right? Here's the thing. It's just false. It's untrue. And it's not accurate. So don't even bother. Don't answer. There's no sense in validating their falseness or getting into it. Why do I say I'm bad at this? Because I'm bad at this. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. I'm like, no, 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 that's not right. Well, you're right. It's not right. Stop. Jesus, the perfect one, doesn't even answer. And if he doesn't have to set the record straight, neither do I. Number one, you've got to remember God is judge, not these people who set themselves up as your judge, but the actual judge. That's why you hear all this stuff in scripture about Romans. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Matthew, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Peter, don't repay evil for evil. Listen, it's going to happen. It's going to hurt. There's a reason Jesus was called man of sorrows. Not because turning the cheek is fun or easy, but because it hurts. Yet, when those things happen, number one, remember that God is judge. Number two, remain silent. Number two, remain silent. Now, I know this is a weird one because in our day and age, we have a lot of things that we'd like to speak out against and reasonably so because God is a God of justice. So I'm not saying ignore sin or evil but mostly i'm talking about when something happens to me as an individual not in a broad sense culturally or as a society or institutionally but i'm more specifically talking about me as an individual and there is a distinction there so there is a right and a reason to advocate for global causes or even for national causes but what we're talking about here is an individual so Number one, God is judge. Number two, remain silent. Remain silent. Notice it says Jesus remained silent. And I asked myself, again, how can he do that? I think there's only one way. And that is this. He has to believe. He has to believe that the Lord will reward. Like, If he does not believe that God is going to be faithful to his promise, there's no reason to endure this. But what we have seen throughout the book of Mark multiple times, three to be specific, is that Jesus has foretold both his betrayal, his death, his burial, and his crucifixion. So Jesus is fully affirming the prophecies of scripture and the word of his father. And if he were not, he could not hand himself over to this kind of abuse. But because he believes it, he can submit himself to that and trust that God will bring him out on the other side. It's a little bit like this. If you've ever seen a child before their birthday, if they know they're going to get something, if they're planning on something coming in the mail for grandma, Watch the anticipation and expectation in their face. It gives them joy for weeks and even months, sometimes even a year. They're planning in advance. Okay, my birthday is a year out from now, but I know I'm going to get this card from grandma. And in it, there's going to be a little slip of paper. And with that little slip of paper, this is what I'm going to do. And they're excited 
Because they know that their grandma loves them, that they can trust her, and that she will deliver what she promised. And it changes their perspective. It gives them hope and it gives them joy as they're looking forward to the future. I think that's what faith is here. One author says we live by promises, not explanations. We don't get all the details, but we know that there is this God who loves us, who is faithful, who has made promises, and he will deliver on his promise. And as a result, it changes our perspective now. And we can go into that trial or fiery furnace and be filled with joy and filled with hope and submit to what is in front of us, not because we think, oh, this is good, this is great, but because we're believing in what's coming out on the other side. So Jesus remains silent because he believes in the promise and especially in the promise giver. Faith is not faith in some mystical thing up here. But faith is belief in a specific person. And because Jesus believes in the person of his father and the character that resides there, he can trust that the promise will be fulfilled. And it changes his outlook even here. And so he remains silent. So number one, God is judge. Number two, remain silent. And what do I mean by that? I mean, believe in the character of God. Trust in his person and let that expectation of good give you hope. And number three, the Lord will reward. The Lord will reward. The high priest continues with Jesus. Up until now, Jesus hasn't answered at all. And the high priest asks him point blank. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Now, in their terminology, the son of the blessed would be the son of God. Because they're not going to use God's name. So basically, they're saying, are you God? Because if you say yes to this, we're going to kill you. That is blasphemy. But Jesus actually answers this question. Why? Because it's absolutely essential. When do you not remain silent? When the gospel is at stake. Now the gospel is at stake. Before, it was just all this silly stuff. Inaccurate accusations, character assassination, illogical stuff, process violations, yada, yada, whatever. But now it's the gospel. And when it's the gospel, then it's time to speak up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. hang on. This is a big deal. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the chosen, blessed, prophesied, anointed one? Are you the only begotten, unique son of the living God? And Jesus says, yes. Yes, he is. There is no other. There's only one answer to that question. Ever. His name is Jesus. And then Jesus comes back. This is like the ultimate retort. And you got to see how like in your face this next answer is. He says, and you will see the son of man. Look that up in Daniel 7 sometime. It's this great picture of a triumphing king coming back in fire and power. He says, you will see the son of man seated. Who's judging who now, buddy? You think you're seated on the throne. You are so wrong. Jesus will judge you. And he will be elevated and risen and resurrected and judging the whole world. 
And nothing your peon little council can argue with. Coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus remembers the promise of his father. In Mark chapter 10. So I'm in, I'm in 14 right now. But back in chapter 10. Jesus said this. In his prophecy he said. They will mock, spit, and flog, and kill him. That's what's happening right here. But then in the next sentence he says, and he will rise. They'll do this, but Jesus will do this. They will spit, they will mock, they will flog, and they will kill, but Christ will rise. Who wins now? The resurrection vindicates Jesus, Tom Constable says. Bloomberg says it reestablishes him as the Lord of the cosmos. Carson says it guarantees the submission of all things unto Jesus. Jesus earlier had said, all authority, all power has been given to him by the Father. How is that true? Well, look at this book. He walks on water. He casts out demons. He forgives sins. He multiplies bread. Everything there is submits to him. All power, all authority, it's already been demonstrated. And now when you counsel, you sit above him and you look down and you claim to have authority. What a joke. What a joke. Here is the one who has all power. And all authority standing before you. And you will see him again. You will. We're not done yet. He's coming back. You will see him coming in power on the clouds of heaven. And seated at the right hand of God the Father. The Lord will reward Look, God is judge. Your friend is not. Your enemy is not. Your inner voice is not. Your conscience is not. God is judge. Remember that. And don't let him push your buttons. But instead, remain silent. Trust the promise and the promise giver. Look forward to the payoff like a little kid on their birthday. And believe that the Lord will reward the Lord will reward. He has predicted it, and his resurrection proves it, and all we're waiting for is the return. And when he comes, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, we praise you for your Son, Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the ruler, the beginning and the end, the high King of heaven and most powerful God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. Lord, now as we come to the table before him, we thank you for the body and blood, for the cup that he drank and the suffering and shame that he endured. We pray that as we take it together, we will look forward to his coming and bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.